Have you downloaded the Tenny's Pizza app? If you live in Utah County and you're listening to this podcast right now, or Salt Lake, there's one in Riverton. If you're in the Utah area, there you go. Download right now. Just go to the App Store, Google Play, whatever you got to do. Download the Tenny's Pizza app. It is so easy, guys. Like, so simple. My kids can do it. They get on there, dink around a little bit. Granted, they know the phone better than I do. But still, kids can do it, right? Get on there. You get the app. And tonight, what I want you to do when you're like, I don't want to cook anything. I want you to get on there, order the skinny crust. This thing has a third less the calories than regular crust. And you can even have them like send it back through and get a crispy version. They like send it halfway through the, the get it out of the oven. They get it out of the oven and then send it halfway back up. And it comes out and it's like this thin, crispy, delicious, low calorie, crunchy, awesome crust. It's amazing. If you don't like that, you can get the gluten free crust. That's also an option. It's crunchy and chewy. My wife, Brindy, likes it better than the regular crust. It's freaking fantastic. In other words, Tenny's has everything you need for your dinner tonight. All the pizzas, all the different flavors. The buffalo pizza is amazing. My favorite one is their backyard barbecue. Holy crap, it's awesome. As well, they have desserts. I talked about the Oreo pizza last time. This time, you got to hit up the Tukey. Tukey is this super rad chocolate chip cookie that you put ice cream on top. Normally, you'd think, oh, I got to go to freaking some chain restaurant, Chili's or BJ's or some place to get a Pazuki. No. Tenny's Pizza has it tonight. So download the app, get a Tukey, get some gluten-free crust pizza, some skinny crust pizza, and I want to hear about it. If you think Tenny's Pizza is the greatest thing ever, let me know, because it really is. Enjoy. Okay, coming up next week on the Finding Strength Podcast, we are doing an AMA. Ask me anything. Literally anything. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be me and Matt. That's it. And you get to ask us any question. We will not dodge your questions. Right, Matt? No, we will dodge questions. Oh, I'm not dodging questions. I am all, all in. Well, then they'd better ask some really hard questions, and they got to see my dodging skills. I know. You are really good at it. <laughs> that's, I'm that's literally a professional. Me. You're good at dodging questions. I'm not. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is how it is. You heard it right, people. Ask Bethany all the hard questions. <laughs> Whatever. So it'll be awesome. What we're going to do is next Monday at 830, we are going to go live and answer questions. And beforehand, though, if you have questions, we want you to post them on our Facebook pages, on the Finding Strength page, anywhere you can find us, you can post a question to us and we'll write them down. And then, of course, once we start, you can continually ask questions as we so get started. if you listen to this whole podcast, sorry, when you listen to this whole podcast, at the end, we're going to tell you all the social media ways to get a hold of us, how to find us. The biggest thing, though, that we want you guys to do, if you haven't heard episode one or episode four... Episode one is Bethany's story. Way better than episode four, which is my story. Liar. Um, episode one, probably, I would say, is 
one of our best, if not our best episodes. It's our most popular episode. It has nearly a thousand downloads. This is a very... People love hearing how crazy I am. Is, well, yeah. It's because so, it's relatable. Your crazy is understandable. <laughs> so yeah, if you guys will listen to... If you want to go back and listen even to some pieces of those podcasts, so that way you can think of those questions. Maybe when you were listening the first time, you had some thoughts and questions, and this way you can remember and ask them. We will be very open and honest. For sure. This week on the episode, we talk with Rip Chadwick. This episode, holy freaking moly. It was different. It was definitely different. It's, it's cool to talk to it. someone who just has a different perspective. Yeah. Great guy doing great things, but just our thought processes weren't always the same. He's, he's one of the main like, runners of Addicted We Stand. And Addicted We Stand is basically this giant community of persons who are in recovery, right? Uh, they're trying to figure out how to live life after going through an addiction. 17,000 people, hopefully some of you Addicted We Stand people are listening right now. Rip has a huge audience with a great voice and a great message. And in the podcast, it gets really interesting. We kind of differ on some opinions about things, and we get we really kind of dive down and dig deep into stuff well, that, he just has a different yeah. thought on, he has his own kind of way of with spirituality, which I feel For like sure. all of us are different oh, in our yeah. own ways. And then he talks a lot about, he has a very Buddhist perspective, mm-hmm. which is cool. And I totally respect it, but it's, it's just different. It's different from, yeah. I would say most Western world people. Yeah. And I think that will be interesting for a lot of people to hear and kind of understand we get more, we dive deeper into addiction and what it's like for people. And Rip tells us his story and his story. You're not going to miss this, guys. And he's, he gives a lot of good info uh, for parents. Like, oh, yeah. so that way you know where some of these things are coming from and how some kids are getting it. That's important if you yeah. want to help your kids out. Yeah. We're stoked on it. We hope you guys enjoy it. So here you go. Episode nine of Finding Strength. Finding Strength Podcast. I'm Bethany Tenney, and I'm here with Rip Chadwick, and of course, Matt. Hello, everybody. <laughs> What's up, Rick? Hey, guys. Good to have you here, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, a little recap. We just finished, went out today, actually, mm-hmm. was episode eight with Robbie Law. Really cool. Kind of a good segue into tonight's podcast, because it sure. was on... Um, opioid addiction and his struggles and what he's gone through. So tonight we are going to be talking a lot about addiction and another journey through it. Yes, for sure. This week, so I don't don't know if you guys know a lot of the stats, probably a lot of the, um, a lot of your community is going to know some of the stats going on with um, opioid deaths and overdoses and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. This week has been declared by Governor Herbert like a special week because we found out, uh, we just recently got some stats about Utah, Utah had a 16% reduction in, in um, addiction-related deaths this year. One of the only states, I think there's like nine states that had a reduction. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing some good stuff going on here in Utah. And I know you're a big part of that as well because you're a major kind of influence and voice in the community for re- recovery and stuff like that. So maybe let's kind of go back in time a little bit and just talk about your journey, man. Like start from the beginning and get us up to speed. Where'd you grow up? 
how was life like for you as a kid? Would you go to school? All that. Take us through the journey. Cool. So, um, well, first, uh, with the op- opiate epidemic, so uh, we just had um, the, the group uh, went up to the Capitol, and this was a couple, few weeks ago, mm-hmm. for the um, uh, opiate, opiate awareness, uh, and we had... Uh, um, Oh, I can't remember how many people, but it was an awesome deal, you know. The governor actually he didn't show up at that event, but uh I mean we had a one of those Boeing seven forty seven life size planes filled up with people to represent how many people die each day from from opiate overdose. And it's uh, 187 per day in the United States die per day, so that's as much as would fill up a seven forty seven. So that was fun. Um, Took my son, you know, and they showed a video at the end of faces of people in Utah who've died from opiate addiction. So that was a little tearjerker. Good deal, though. A lot of uh, treatment centers, uh, addict to athlete, and and it was was a cool deal. So um, my story, though, geez, when I was five years old. (laughs) (laughs) Bring uh, it, bring it, man. Yeah, go. So, like, uh, I was just raised, I think, in a good childhood. And in Utah, um, religion, LDS. What part of Utah? American Fork. Okay. Just right by by here in Utah County. Uh, my grandma raised me. My two grandmas. I would go back and forth. And my dad, you know, truck driver, but he was present. Good dude. And uh, but my mom is gone. And uh, so uh, I was. I was just a happy kid, man. But when I turned like sixteen, things started changing, and I started hanging out with different people. Excuse me, and uh, I think that's where things uh, just took a different turn. I met a kid, moved in with him when I was almost 18, and like it went from drinking and doing and just smoking pot and like having a good time to heroin and cocaine really quickly within like six months. And then um, moved out of his place because when you're friends and you do heroin, um, things don't really work out very well. So, uh, and he's actually clean today. Um, nice. And uh, so. I moved in with uh, with my mom. I'm gonna go through like the the using stuff really quick, yeah. so we can get like and talk yeah, about some other journey. stuff. But I went like it, it, you name it, and I and I tried it. I did it. Besides um, acid, I did everything else, man. Um, when I got married, uh, we did like the smoke shop drugs because like she was an addict too. So we're, we justified it by like we can go to a smoke shop and get spice or or whatever the case is, you know and and nowadays with the Kratom stuff and, and addicts saying, well, I'm justified in using that because I can get it from a smoke shop. It's, it's natural. It's better than uh, the, the opiates I can get from a doctor. You know, so um, did all that. You know, uh, recently, um, well, not recently, three years ago, my last uh, uh, time before treatment, um, I, so I would mix heroin and meth, you know, because somebody told me, because I would never wanted meth. I'm always like a downer dude. But uh, someone said, if you smoke some meth, you can stay awake longer and do more heroin. Oh, my gosh. And it made sense to me, so I did. It makes total sense to everyone. Oh, yeah, like, why yeah. Would you not, you want to, you, heroin, you got to do more heroin. Yes, yeah. yeah. Why and, not use uh, meth? And they, they were chicks, and so you kind of got to give in to that, you know. Um, uh, a lot of my story back then, like up until then, even in a marriage, you know, was just a lot of women, you know, threesomes, whatever, just... So it all came with, as part of it, it came with like, uh, 
women, money, drugs, alcohol, all, all of the it. women you were with, married mm-hmm. or dating or whatever, were they all addicts as well? No. no. Okay. No, like, uh, uh, I don't know, whoever I'd be with or we'd bring in, you know, uh, sometimes they were just normal people, you know, like not addict or alcoholic. Definitely not, probably normal. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> My kid's banging on the door. <laughs> keep asking. I'm going to get her out of here. One sec. Go ahead. You guys keep going. Okay, so got I, I'm gonna be honest, my mind's a little blown right now. Huh. <laughs> all these things you're talking about, a smoke shop and all these yeah. I don't I'd never heard of this. This is so like you know Nobody's I'm, talked about it on the no, no, because I've I mean I've heard, you know, I would say the main drugs. Like mm-hmm. I've heard of heroin, I've heard of meth, I've heard of pot, um, alcohol and I acid. I mean I've heard of most things, but I did not know you could go to a smoke shop. Mm-hmm. And get like hardcore drugs? Is that, or is it mixing them? Is that which? I just, I just chemicals didn't this that are not illegal from the government because the government has not identified them as illegal. So the producers of them, they make them in a just a built shop, maybe in their home or in a storage shed. But they, they get these chemicals, and then when they put them in smoke shops, they sell them smoke shops, smoke shops sell them like bath salts or like cocaine or meth. You know, they have brownies you can eat that have somewhat of a THC feeling. Spice is like marijuana, but I don't know, maybe mixed with some some meth. Um, but they kind of have a go-to with each drug, like ecstasy. I bought ecstasy tablets at a smoke shop to go down to Lake Powell, you know. And so I, I ate the ecstasy tablets and laid out on the lake all night, you know. Um, but you can buy the, buy all that stuff. I at almost smoke feel shops. like we're like letting everybody know all these things. Oh well, now so it's, currently t- don't like, go buy that stuff. <laughs> currently today, no, it's more a little bit more rec- regulated, but it's hard okay. because. The chemicals, what happens is the government will go and and see this and they'll say, okay, that's illegal. And then they'll just go, the the makers of it will go and change the compound by just one degree. So it's legal again. Yeah, if it's tested, they'll say, nope, it's not that illegal substance. Now it's changed as a different substance. So would you say that like if you are an addict of some sort, if you want to get it, you're going to find a way to get it? Mm -hmm. Is that basically what it comes down to? It's the way it's always been, yeah. Yeah. So illegal or not illegal, you're going to find it. You're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's just more uh, readily available, you know, if you just go to a smoke shop. You don't have to have a dealer. You don't, you know, you don't have to worry about the law. Um, but I'll tell you what, like, um, you hear stories, like with the basalts, that zombie guy who ate somebody's face off while he was naked in the street. Did you ever hear that? No. Yeah. <laughs> He was high on bath salts, and he was naked going down the street, and he just grabbed this homeless guy and just ate his face off. The guy lived, but, like, yeah, his face was gone. He was like a zombie. Um, So they do things to you mentally. Spice, too, you know, has landed people in the hospital, killed people. Um, There was just an overdose of something like 12 people in South Carolina a couple weeks ago from smoke shop drugs. You know, so it's... uh, it's just a little different. The 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 kratom right now. I I know people. Even uh, one of the dudes at my sober living a couple of years ago. He was the manager of the home and took kratom because it was justified. You know, it's legal. It's better than opiates. Um, but I mean, you detox off it. You know, you withdraw. People go to rehab because of kratom. You know, wow. I had a doctor on two weeks ago on the podcast, uh, Terry Sellers, who said, "Yeah, I've gotten people that that need to get off kratom, and they come to me. We detox them and put them through treatment." You know, so to me, it's no different. Uh, and then at the same time, I stay objective and I say, well, okay, if they're going to do that, cool. 
I, I'm not, you know. I just know if I take one pill, one smoke of weed, one alcohol, one anything at all ever, then that's just going to lead me. I've tried everything, you know. I've tried Xanax, the benzos. I've tried the sub, Suboxone and Subutex. Like, like I say, anything but acid because I don't want to like, I don't like that feeling of kind of seeing things that aren't there or being out of control. But anything else, like I've tried to mix just benzos with opiates because then I'll be okay, you know, or just let's just smoke pot, you know. But none of it ever worked. So I just know... I just can't do anything, you know, anything at all. But if they want to go and try that, then cool, you know, let them go try it. What's what would what do you think? And I guess this will have to take us back to your story and how you started on this. But what's the driving force that's getting people to do this? To mm-hmm. go to these extremes? And in my mind that's what it's an extreme to have to where can I get this? How can I get this? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's a problem with uh society that draws in or draws out the problem within a person, you know? So like for me, like an insecurity or a fear or a, any really justified excuse, but I wanted the, the validation from women. I wanted to be popular among friends, and that's how I started out with it. But any kid that's growing up right now that doesn't feel like they're really a part of or feels that emptiness inside, that's, that's why anybody's going to use or drink. You know, and that's why kids try it is because they'll go to a party with their friends, even if they're a good kid. And, um, you know, they see all their friends having a good time, taking a few drinks. So it's like, okay, it's not even, I don't like peer pressure, the the phrase, but I guess by definition it is. But at the same time, it's just like they want to feel like they're a part of, you know, it's a feeling of purpose. So in today's society where we're really driven toward being consumers, you know, and we're, we're driven to lust and desire for all this material crap. You know, uh, we want that fulfillment, but our parents, uh, us, you know, we're on our cell phones all the time, detached from children, and where are children going to find fulfillment besides spirituality or through other friends, drinking, drugging, uh, sex, gambling, anything materialistic that's going to feed off the, the, the flesh you needs. Really, you really think, though, that like fulfillment can come from that kind of thing? Like, is that actual fulfillment or is it like a synthetic form of it? Yeah, I, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it really works. It's, uh, the, the Latin term for alcohol is spiritus. So it's a spiritual enhancer. It, it does help you. But uh, once you cross that line to where, because it's a solution, it works. But once you cross that line, then more pain comes. It becomes that cycle. And then to, to cover up the more pain, that bigger hole now, you've got to drink more or use more. And then it fills it up, but then it, you know, it drops back down. Whereas to me, uh, true spiritual fulfillment can make you whole. Instead of just filling it up and then it drops down even worse, it's, it's more of a healing process. But that hole still does get filled up. Yeah, the analogy that I like to use is, and, and I, I see it a little bit differently, just from like the, the approach that I use in my therapy with people. And my, approach is, my approach is extremely trauma-focused. So a lot of the stuff you're saying, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I, I think, yes, and likely there is a trauma root at the center of the reason why somebody becomes addicted. Mm-hmm. There's a, definitely a chemical component to that as well. But the propensity for addiction is definitely increased by the trauma. So that kid who goes to a party and is like, I don't feel comfortable here and I, and I need to use, like that kid doesn't necessarily become addicted just because he uses one time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than anything, it's like I have this hole like you're talking about mm-hmm. within me that I think was created by a traumatic event 
that I need to fill, that this thing fills, but doesn't really fill. It doesn't create fulfillment. It actually numbs me from the fact that I have that hole and I forget that I have it for a minute. So it's not that it's being filled. It's more that it's, I'm here. I'm band-aid. Yeah, I'm, I'm empty. And so I find this thing that makes me forget how empty I am for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then when it ends and it goes away and I'm not numb anymore and I start to feel again, guess what starts to come back? Pain. So a lot of the approach that we use, um, that, that I use in my therapy practice, is just like conditioning people to be okay with the fact that we feel pain and you don't need to numb from it anymore. You don't need to have these codependent type relationships to be able to manage the difficulty that you deal with on a daily basis. You don't need to blame other people or blame yourself. Like pain is a part of life and that's something that we all have to deal with. And if I just want to numb from it all the time, I'm never going to be able believe that I'm even capable of dealing with pain. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. And I think that's really, really interesting. I like the way you talk about that hole and how it's filled by something. But I think um, fulfillment is a really important, important part of life. And I don't think that alcohol or drugs or whatever can bring fulfillment. I think they numb from the fact that we have pain. That's just mm-hmm. the way I see it. So it's, it's interesting what about, though, the, the genetic uh, side of it? So mm-hmm. somebody could have no real trauma in the past. For sure. And then go out and start to, to drink, you know, on occasion, really get addicted because of that genetic um, mutation in their mind, right? So I'm so not so sure how that, how that even works. There, there is a genetic component, mm-hmm. right? And there's kind of mixed elements to this, mixed like evidence behind what's there. And so for a long time, basically, we thought that like the brain chemistry, the the physical addiction to addiction was the reason why people became addicted. So like if you have the the allele is the word for addiction, then then all of a sudden you're doomed to be an addict. But in reality, like we all, each one of us differently has the ability to become addicted to a different substance or to a different thing. But in reality, everyone on the planet has the same ability to numb. Mm-hmm. And avoidance and numbing is what addiction is all about, right? And so maybe and actually the statistic on whether or not you become an addict like if you do family um family therapy stuff is like so if i let's say my mom is an addict and my dad is not Mm -hmm. the chances that i become an addict are 50 50 we think that that's because of a combination of some genetic component however more likely in, in the theory that i ascribe to and the research that i've read and what i believe and there's different beliefs on this right is that the reason why is because of the environment that I grew up in. So more like a nurture versus nature. And there is a nature component to it as well. Mm -hmm. But the allele component, like the fact that I'm addicted because of like this, I'm doomed to be addicted because my dad was, because I have this thing in my brain that makes me become an addict. I actually don't think that's true. There is like a 15 to 30% component with addiction when it comes to the, like the genetic piece. Yeah. 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 But the addiction gene thing was something we believed for a long, long, long time. And recent research actually has said that that's just partially true, not as true as we thought it was at one point. Yeah, but that is definitely a part of it too. Okay, so I, li- I like that you say that because I do know a lot of people that, yeah, I, I mean, we all should be cautious of everything we take into our bodies. I don't care whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, everything. But that is good to know mm-hmm. that it's like you aren't doomed to be an addict to something mm-hmm. because your parents were. I think that's really cool. But, so Rip, I want... <laughs> Is your, where did yours come from? Where did this addiction come from? Um, Was it genetic? Was it a trauma? Was it 
I mean, I know you're saying like to fit in, but yeah, there's a difference in taking a drug or take drinking or something at a party mm-hmm. and diving in, right? That's yeah. like two separate things. So, what did that come from? What did that? How did that really push you? Well, so for me, it's it wasn't genetic. I mean, so not my parents, both, you know, uh, and then grandparents too, like all the way down as far as I can tell, um, sisters, everything, everybody was good. Uh, never fell into addiction, but for me, like, so I could blame it on traumas. They kind of. Like my mom leaving, abandonment was when I was two. So I, I kind of dealt with some abandonment stuff. That's that. That's why being around all those those friends made me feel good. But at the same time, like I know from my own research of myself that it is like uh, the the big book of AA says that we're allergic. Number one, we react differently to chemicals than other people. Mm-hmm. And then number two, it's a mental obsession once we start. So for me, it's like a if I were to drink a beer right now, physically, my body's going to tell me, like, it's going to react differently. My mind won't shut up about it, get more, get more, get more. My body will react like an allergic reaction to where if I were to do enough, like I'll black out enough drugs, my mind won't tell me to stop. It's going to tell me to keep going. I'll die. Like, I'll use till I die. Um, so I don't know. I don't think I could really blame it on anything besides just... I don't know, just, uh, I just became addicted pretty quickly, you know? So I w- I'm curious though, like, there's that abandonment thing that you talk about from being two years old. Mm-hmm. I don't, what if, what if it's not blame? What if that's the wrong, because blame is associated with shame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if there are multiple components to addiction that aren't just physical? What if they're physiological, right? Bio, psycho, social, spiritual. Mm-hmm. And what if, when a little boy is left by his mom at two years old, he has the hole mm-hmm. and then he forgets about the hole when he uses and feels connected. Mm-hmm. Right now. And, and it's not like one thing or the other, but I'm curious, like if you've ever thought about like, what if I didn't blame this, but I just understood like, maybe there's a reason why this worked for me for some time. And it kind of not that it helped, but like, that's a, that's a big painful thing people go through. Yeah. I mean, not having a mom, like being put back and forth from grandma to grandma, that's not an easy, easy thing for a kid. And I'm sure like you get to a certain point where you're like, man, I feel connected to these people. And when I use, I feel even more connected. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's yeah, part of I, it too? I definitely believe, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100% that that, that, that uh, but even going in, in, in deeper than that, no. So if I say, you know, uh, that's part of it too, if I, if I choose to believe, no matter what I choose to believe, then it's going to make it true. So spiritually, I could choose to believe that um, really everything in life is being done to me. And so this has all just happened because this is the experience mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm having from a higher source that I needed to experience all of this. Maybe it happened so that I could help other people in their experience. Um, it, so like with, with science... Um, Water boils at 100 degrees Fahrenheit is what we've believed for so many years, but it was just proven false, right? Just over the last few months, like they'll take water, but put it in a different atmospheric pressure. Mm -hmm. And they were able to prove that it won't boil at 100 degrees Celsius Mm -hmm. anymore. Now we can go all the way to 200 and something degrees. Mm -hmm. And so that just proved science wrong. Science is something that's been able to be proven in the past. So for me, if I, whatever I choose to believe is true is going to be true. Um, if yeah, I, I like go, that. if I go back to the past, uh, uh, into that kind of, um, time frame, 
what I remember is being really happy. You know, like both grandmas taught me how to play the piano. Um, I never felt like sad that I would go from one place to the other. One was a gardener, so we helped her like plant uh, uh, corn, plants. Uh, what, do you, what do I want to say? Peonies, roses, all that. And so we did gardening. We had pheasants. Uh, and then the other grandma was just like the most cool, kick-ass grandma ever. Uh, always with me and my sisters, taking us to do fun stuff, um, always present, very nice. So I, I can't, I've tried, I've gone back to where is, is there something, but, but really um, I had a great upbringing where I didn't really, I don't think I knew any different than just to be with the, the grandparents, mm. you know. And then like I said, when my dad came around, like when he wasn't trucking, um, he was just the best, he never smoked, drank, cussed, nothing, you know. So he's always been our rock. That's cool, man. Yeah. I like that idea of belief too, man. Like, like mm-hmm. that you can... You, so uh, I don't know if you've read any Brene Brown stuff. We talk about Brene Brown like every mm-hmm. week on the podcast. Uh-huh. you know who she is? No. Oh, dude. Go Brene home Brown. today. Okay. Anything. All you people out there that are listening, Brene Brown, read every single one of her books. She's freaking incredible. This woman is changing the way we view the human experience. Shame. Shame is, is a huge, huge part of what, what she's talking about and how shame becomes this major component into our decision making. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she talks about is that if we begin to step into our story and own our story, right? Like you're talking about like belief, right? Like I can believe what I want to believe about my story, but if I believe that the reason why I do what I do is because I get to help other people, all of a sudden the way that I view the world changes. Mm-hmm. And I get to see it for what it really is because I get to make it what it really is. That I freaking love. And it sounds like that's what you do, right? Like mm-hmm. you've taken this thing and actually Blue Robinson, you know Blue? Yeah, yeah. Blue actually was a mentor of mine early on. Blue okay. Robinson started Addict to Athlete. He's a great guy. I'm sitting down in his office one day and I'm telling him like, I want, I want to help kids, man. Like I want to do this. I want to become a therapist. I want to make this my career. I happened on the job randomly. Not really randomly. My wife kind of helped me get the job. I thought I'd be good at it. And Blue says to me, listen, man, when you make your mess your message, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, that mess has purpose. And it's no longer this thing that weighs you down. It's this thing that gives you reason to go on. And so I was like, whoa, and it like blew my mind. And from that moment on, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. get it, man. Like my mess can become my message. The, the reason, the thing that happened to me can become this wonderful experience that, I, that happened, that sucked but now has made me stronger and I can now go share that message with the world. And that sounds kind of like what you were talking about, right? Like that belief thing. I love that. I think that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, the yeah. purpose. Purpose, purpose yeah. belief. This is, yeah, it's the same thing. Purpose is once you have that purpose, that driving force, it gives us energy. It gives us happiness. It gives us joy, fulfillment, faith, all of it. Um, and without a purpose, I think, you know, we get depressed, we get anxious, we get lost, mm-hmm. we kind of give up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the, the rise of suicides, I think... Uh, you know, because in today's world, we do something and we get it quickly, mm-hmm. so quickly now, and it's getting even more and more that way that uh, we'll get a purpose and it fulfills us for a minute, but then we get bored real quickly because of the way we're being conditioned, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think that that's creating so much depression in people, anxiety in people. You know, we just, I see a lot of people give up quickly. They'll find something that they're really good at, driven about, good purpose, and then they just kind of, you know, ah, that was cool, but now, you know, something else. Yeah. So it's just, uh, um, it's just uh, being aware. I think you know more than anything, just watching and 
and paying attention. Because I personally, like, and I don't even believe that, uh, like, suicide is a bad thing. Like, if somebody wants to kill themselves, go out and do that. I, I know in society we view them as, like, mentally ill, as sick people. But uh, I did this uh, death meditation with this uh, Buddhist uh, guy. And he had me go in like I had just died and what happens next. And it helped me to see that death isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, that it's all just part of a process, you know. And um, so, and I had a friend who just took his life a couple months ago, and his belief was the same. He kind of saw it as when I croak, when I move on, everything that happens after is just pure energy and joy. And um, and he just wanted to be there now, you know. Um, so, but saying that, like, um, I've been to where I've been in that mode too, but... I also now know, like, I don't want to die, but I just have this, like, kind of like life's a joke or fun. It's more playful, like clay. That's a better word, not a joke. It's like clay, and I'm just kind of molding it and going along, and I get to say what I want and have fun and do whatever I want now, you know? I don't have fear of anybody saying anything about me, you know? Yeah, which is cool, but you have kids, right? I have, yeah, a little boy. Okay, so... I, I'm kind of like having a hard time wrapping my head around this just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like when you talk, cause you know, we've talked a lot about suicide and a lot about death and I understand the thought process, but at the same time, like, you know, the, well, if I, once I, if I die, it's not a bad thing. It's part of life. It's part, we move on. It's the next stage. Mm-hmm. I get that. But yet there's so many of us here mm-hmm. left mm-hmm. once that happens. And so to me, it's so hard for me to picture death like that, for me to be like, oh, it's just part of life. It's no big deal. It's, you know, good mm-hmm. for them. You know, that's hard because I, I see myself who has dealt with lots of death mm-hmm. and people leaving me and I see my children and I think, well, this is a big deal because I need to be there for them. So does, does that ground you a little bit more where you think, uh, maybe this, I like the clay idea. But at the same time, because I, I do think we're growing and molding all the time, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But like being here has got to be important, right? It's got to be more important than dying. Otherwise, why would we be here? Why would anyone stay if yeah. things suck? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and as far as with what you're saying, I do see, so like my buddy who took his, he has a son that's my son's age. That's sad for the kid who's going to grow up without a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I were to die right now, same thing. It's sad for the kid. Um, I think it's a paradox though, is, um, we feel like it would be sad for them. So in a, in a sense, that's very selfish to take my own life because then all the people who are still here have to grieve that and go through that loss. Uh, and the paradox of it at the same time is, you know, that, um, anybody who is left behind, if, if they're grieving about that, I, I see it as kind of like a, almost a selfish thing. Like I'm without that person. I want them here with me. This is about me. Like I'm hurting because they're gone. Um, or yeah, there is a piece, a piece there. So you do the opposite. (laughs) Like most people are like, gosh, you know, they, they left me and that was so selfish. They didn't think about me, but then yeah, it can be flipped and say, well, they're in a better place for them and I'm being selfish because I want them here and that's not fair either, yeah. you know? So it is, it's like a, a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't work either way. <laughs> well, and we've been programmed to survive. Like as a species, we're taught to not get hurt, to not 
die. Like that's like one of our biggest drives is to to survive. The ego wants us to survive and thrive. So um, we're we really that's why like we won't go skydiving. We're too afraid, bungee whatever it might be. We're afraid because we don't want to die. That's the ultimate thing. But once you faced death, um, like I've died three times, and I just twice from overdose, once from a car accident when this happened. Like and I just I remember. It's just kind of, I guess, having that view of it, it makes it not such a big deal anymore. I, I don't know how else to really explain it besides that that's, to me, it's kind of like, well, that's just going to be another piece of it. I don't have any control over it anyway. Like, if God wants me dead, I'll leave, I'll drive a car, I could die. But I'm not going to take my own life because, yes, I've got people who'd miss me, but also I've got a purpose. Um, but I also understand, like I've been to that place where in my head I'm saying the world's going to be better off with me gone. I won't hurt anybody anymore. Um, you know, so there's, it's just type of, types of polar thinking. You know, I like to play devil's advocate a lot and mess around with ideas just to see what works, you know, or what doesn't work. I think the hardest part about, uh, death and suicide is suffering. Right, and you said you mentioned like Buddhist meditations mm-hmm. and things like that, and going into death and understanding death. And I, the Buddhist view on death is very similar, right? Like, we're going to move on to the next stage. We're going to morph. We're going to change. We're going to become a different version of ourselves, and go on endlessly forever. Mm-hmm. And so, death is like a stepping stone into the next world. However, one of the things that is a tenet in Buddhism is suffering, mm-hmm. and how we are on a mission as a species, to limit the amount of suffering that we experience. Mm-hmm. I wonder then if that faith or that belief system looks at suicide similarly because the suffering that is then endured after the death goes onward forever. And it's not, I get that it's not this, that it's, just, it's, um, it doesn't, it's not a selfish act when somebody chooses to die. It's not, it's not necessarily a selfish act because they, they want to go on and they may even want selflessly to leave the world so that they're, they're not inflicting any more pain on other people. But I'm curious, though, if you can just kind of consider the idea that, you know, suffering is a very tangible thing. Mm-hmm. And then when your friend died, the suffering that his child will experience, who gives a shit if it's selfish, it's suffering, mm-hmm. will be forever and ever until that guy passes away. Mm-hmm. And I think that... A, um, a lighter view of death, which is kind of what I hear you saying, to me it becomes troublesome because it brings levity to the idea of life. And life is about living. Mm-hmm. And you're saying like, the old part of my brain wants to survive, mm-hmm. but this new part of my brain wants to live. Mm-hmm. And to live, I experience joy. And there is suffering that juxtaposes the joy. Mm-hmm. And so I have to suffer. And if my goal is to now relieve this suffering because I want to die. I also miss out on the joy that I could be experiencing and the, and the fulfillment that I could be experiencing. Mm-hmm. And isn't there sadness in that? Oh yeah. 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 So there, is death is, I mean, cause, cause you, you just said death is not sad is what I heard you say, or maybe I didn't hear you say that right. It can, it can be not a sad thing. It's like the, what we were talking about earlier. It's a matter of perception. Um, you know, uh, and the Buddhists, I could answer that question. In, in what I've been taught uh, is, you know, they would rather you uh, not be here. If you don't want to be here, they say you've got many more lives to come. Um, we'd rather you, if you don't want to be here, then go rather than keep you here and you be a nuisance. You know, so they, it's kind of it's not a big deal 
to them either, you know? So I read that Dalai Lama book and I found it fascinating because kind of what you're saying, Mm -hmm. um, he talks about, he says, you know, in the Eastern part of the world, death is so different than it is here in the West. He's like, he talks about Buddhism and even just any sort of religious or cultural belief that they have is that, yeah, this is just one life. Mm -hmm. And they believe that you're going to have many lives and that you move on. And they also say that they experience death more there. It's Mm -hmm. a regular event. It's just happening more often. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about how in the Western world, we, for one, we believe more in Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's more the religion. And in that religion, it's that you're a lot of times being punished. It's more godly. It's more... And so when you die, you wonder if that's a punishment and what did I do wrong and why did this happen? And you're questioning and you have to find this reason for everything. And then, of course, we have, you know, wonderful medicine. And so we're living longer. Mm -hmm. And so it talks a lot about how we don't deal with death well and how it's so and it's crazy to me because it's like, okay, so we're all same, you know, it's 2018. And, but yet to live on this side of the world or that side of the world is how you perceive death and how you perceive life. And I guess a lot of that has to do with maybe not even that as much as it does religion and spirituality and how you believe, because there may be a lot of people here that believe that. For sure. Mm-hmm. But I found that so fascinating because, um, well, I feel like I'm going on a tangent here. No, no, you're doing great. So... <laughs> Um, in the book, and I told you this part. Yeah. I don't think I've said it on the podcast yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, my favorite thing talks about death, mm-hmm. and it a woman comes to to Buddha mm-hmm. and says, "My child just died, um, and I know you can bring him back to life. I want you to bring him back to life." And he said, "Okay, yes, that's something I can do. Here's what I want you to do first. I want you to go get, and I don't remember what it was, an object." from anybody's home in this village who has not lost somebody. And when, if you do that, I will bring your child back to life. Mm-hmm. And she went home to home to home, and everybody had suffered loss. Everybody. And she came back and said, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Like, how can I ask for something like this when this is, this is part of life? This is what we're all going to go through. So anyways, I thought, I felt like this... Beautiful. What you're saying um, with death, I actually, I guess at first I was like, what? What are you talking about? I kind of, I am kind of understanding it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Where I'm, I get, it is just a different perspective and it's, it's a happy one in some ways. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it, it just all how we're going to perceive it. Nobody knows until we're actually there though, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's lived that said, I remember what it was like before. Mm-hmm. One religion says... You know, when we die, it's just black, like there's nothing. And uh, when asked, well, what's that like? And they said, well, do you remember what it was like before you were born? Well, no. Well, it's kind of like that. And that blew my mind because that makes sense. So maybe it's like that. I don't know. But uh, I'm just kind of having fun along the road. Along <laughs> I was going to say, you know, like what it. is your religious oh, yeah, belief? Yeah, yeah. What is your spiritual journey? Yeah, I so from LDS to kind of nothing, uh, whatever, but... Uh, I went down um, to St. George a few years ago, and so I tried out different churches, you know, um, mostly Christian. I uh, got baptized in one uh, because they told me, they said, uh, this is not baptism into a religion. 
if you want to get baptized, just come and it's the old you being washed away, the new you lives with God in your heart. I said, I could do that. So did that. Um, but uh, ever since 2007, I've been doing the Native American Sweat Lodge. And that's something that uh, I've always felt a connection at. So um, I like to go there and it's very simple. You know, you connect to Mother Earth, Father Sky, your ancestors. And it's, uh, it's pure, it's simple. Yeah, that, that, it's, right. it's about prayer, you know, and then and you s- getting guidance. I don't know what that is. So sweat lodge, mm-hmm. you go, I picture just sweating in a big room. Is that yeah. right? It's, okay. it's like a dome hut outside, and there's a big hole in the middle, bigger than this table, and they have hot stones in the uh, fire. It's a sacred fire, so it's viewed as these are not stones. These are our ancestors. We respect this fire. And before you start, you put prayers into tobacco, and then you put those prayers into the fire where your ancestors are. Now, these, these uh, stone, these ancestors are brought seven at a time into the lodge and put into the pit, and then it goes dark, and you go pitch black, and then they put water onto the stones. That causes a steam. You also put medicines, though, like juniper, copal, bear root, osha, and uh, they, they go on the stones before the water so that that creates a little bit of the essence. Those are medicines. You breathe them in. It helps to cleanse you. So it's like um, a detox. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like of your body. Physically, or... it's, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But also emotionally, mentally, spiritually, also a detox. Like, I'll leave after a, a lodge. Like, I, I'm high, you know. I'm so detoxed in all four areas that I'm just now elated, you know. Um, I feel great physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. How long does the sweat lodge last for? How long are you in that lodge? Uh, so... Four to six hours. It just, you know, uh, each round. There's four rounds each time, unless you decide to do a fifth if you're like a warrior. But um, each round is like 30, 40 minutes, and they give you a break in between each round. You get out, you get a drink. If you need to leave at a round, then you just say, "I need to get out." Like if it gets too hot and you really can't endure, then you just get out. It's no big deal. Um, but yeah, each round has its own specific purpose. You know, you come with an intent of what you'd like to bring or receive. And uh, each time you're just kind of there as a family and there for each other and you That's pray cool. and, and you get guidance, you know. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of good feedback on people doing the sweat lodge thing and people really, really like it. I've actually always wanted to try it. I've never done it. Yeah. You might motivate me. We should probably, we should do, we should do that. Seriously. I really yeah. want to. That would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then this do one of, really cool. one of these afterwards. I know. Right? For like, real. Yeah. Maybe you could take us and you could guide us. Yeah, definitely. That would be really cool. Every third Saturday of each month. So the next one's coming up the third Saturday of this month. I don't know what day that falls on, but I'll is let you know. Is that in St. George, or is that no, up here? No, no, it's, uh, it's they have them all over, so they have yeah. one up in Heber, but Heber, this one is one in, uh, it's an hour southeast okay. in Mount Pleasant. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, about 50 oh, minutes. Mount Pleasant. Okay, so uh, was spirituality, going back just a little bit, was spirituality what brought you through your addiction? No. What? How did you get through your addiction? Like, into recovery? Yeah. Oh, because uh, we've talked totally about all the stuff mm-hmm. you've done, all the, you know, these crazy parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Now, how'd you come out of that? So, like, uh, I'll, I'll just say that, um, so I've been to rehab twice, once in 07. That saved my life. That's when I got put on Suboxone. And for two years, it got me out of, like, the heroin gang, guns, weapons, like, running, even running people, you know? Like, so we'd put people in a van and, like, take them around the... the trafficking but so like out of that whole lifestyle and got me into recovery on suboxone into college you know all that good stuff can you explain suboxone for people who don't know what that is yeah yeah so suboxone um 
Uh, Terry Sellers explained it perfect two weeks ago. What I what I know from it is it's um, uh, an artificial opioid, so it fills up the brain receptors, and it, it has a ceiling in it. So with an opiate, you get high really quick, but then you come down really quick. And with Suboxone, it fills it up, and then it stays, and so you're kind of more leveled out. Um, and with Subutex, Suboxone has... Uh, uh, it's the buprenorphine plus the naltrexone, so it has an opiate blocker in it. And so if they were to try and use opiates on top of it, they're not going to get high unless they use enough to really beat out that naltrexone, which some of my friends have tried and died from because they don't feel the high yet, so they'll try to use more, then they die. That's dangerous. You know, yeah, it, well, yeah, it's all dangerous. Some people even shoot it up. Um, with Subutex, doesn't have the naltrexone blocker, the opiate blocker in it. So some people take the Subutex and do opiates at the same time. Or if you don't do opiates, if you're not addicted to opiates, but you just take some Suboxone, yep. you get really high. Yeah. So it's they're it's, like these sublingual, like they put them in your tongue and they dissolve under your tongue. It's not yes. like a pill form or you don't snort it or smoke it. Well, it's still a pill. Like it's yeah. pill and it's a, a, a strip. Strip. Yeah. Yeah. But it both yeah. ways goes under the tongue. Yep. And it goes up Dissolves, through yep. through um, the blood vessels in your tongue and goes up into your brain, yeah. And it saved my life. So you it's know? it's meant to ease you off of these hard mm-hmm. drugs. Yeah. Okay. And since then, so uh, and the way I agree with it, and Dr. Terry Sellers does it this way, is a five day max. You know, you like you you wean off quickly, get off the opiates. I was on it for two years though, you know, and so my withdrawal was twenty four days long. Just in my apartment, just eight days, no sleep, food, nothing. You know, uh, it was it was rough. So and it's kind of like methadone. You know, same thing. Really long withdrawal detox. So, uh, but if you just do it quickly, five to seven days, you get off it. You wean from a lot of opiates, and you they just cut you down quickly uh, throughout five or seven days, and then you're off. You know, but this last time, Doctor Terry Sellers was the doctor at the treatment center. And he, you know, I just said, no, I'm just going to, nothing, you know, just, and so I just laid in bed, man. I remember looking at the mirror, like right here on a closet, and um, I looked at my face, I was gray, I was like sunken in, and um, man, and I just remember thinking like, okay, like, you're going to go die, because that's real, like you're, if you keep going, you're just going to go die, or you can make a choice now to live. And I didn't need any Suboxone, man, because like right then, it was like, it sounds cliche, but God entered the room, and like I just felt peaceful. And then I slept for a couple of days, and I went about my treatment process, you know. Or oh, to answer your question, uh, God, you know, yeah, whatever God you guys want to believe in. For me, it's just like a whatever power was greater than me in that moment to take over and bring me that calmness, that peace, and then kind of guide me. Since then, that's what it is, you know. Uh, old timers are a big part of it. like old dudes that go to AA that cuss a lot and tell dirty jokes, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, you know, like those kind of guys saved my life. Um, they tell me some of the, the, the coolest things, you know, like um, I'll say something that's uh, someone in a meeting pissed me off. Someone in life pissed me off and they'll say, well, who the fuck are you? You know, who are <laughs> yeah. you to, you know, maybe they're sick too. Maybe they need your help. And so they, they bring me that polar opposite thinking. They, they help me to view things differently to, to where I can be a, a better person. You know, um, one of them told me I have no right to complain ever because I can never be smart enough to really know enough to complain ever, you know, because what if uh, God is doing this work in us, for us, through us, about us, that uh, it's for a purpose and so how can I complain when it's being done for me, you know? So you're a, 
obviously you've got all, a lot of followers that are a part of this. Mm-hmm. Is that the way you, what you help them towards no. is their spiritual finding. So that way they can get through this addiction. Yeah. Uh, I agree with the 12 step, uh, version when they're brand new, I say, you know, or if it's not the 12 steps, um, the, the treatment center matter that's down in Mount Pleasant, um, they do a human holographic transformation theory. And, uh, that's interesting as well, where we can go to the past and rewrite parts of our, um, experiences, knowing what we know now, let's hypnotize you go into the past and we're going to rewrite some of those experiences, whatever works for somebody. But for me, it's definitely like something switched, changed in me when I did all 12 steps, you know, mm. um, I would go to meetings and hook up with girls. I would, you know, smoking and joking, going to dinner after bowling, all that fun stuff never got clean for more than, I don't know, six months. But when I sat down with an old timer, really got into steps, did all 12, and then that's when like recovery stuck, you know, something changed in me. Um, and it just, I'm going through them again, step 11 again, just keep going because it's like, it's almost like a craving for that fulfillment. Uh, it lasts longer. It's like, it's constant and steady, but it's more like, I'll never be done. Let's keep going. And old timers just, they keep just, you know, telling me, um, you know, and I see things in them like when they start to tear up because, you know, this this new kid that's just started coming around, he just picked up six months, you know, he got his job back and, and things are going, you'll see an old timer like tear up over stuff like that, um, you know, or maybe uh, I, I said that my son put his arm around my neck the other night and kissed me, you know, and an old timer tears up over that. That's when like recovery, like I started, it started making sense. You know, like this is, this is more than just what I thought it was about. This is like gone from my head now to my heart. Like I, I knew everything in the books before it didn't stay sober. I go to the gym a lot, didn't stay. Uh, you know, I try yoga, meditation, all that stuff, taught meditation, never stayed sober. But like, as soon as like I started feeling that same thing where I will get, get a tear over things like that, that's when a, you know, a track record started becoming, uh, more plausible. And I don't think about drinking or drugging anymore. You know, it's, for somebody new, I just say, you know, let's, uh, I suggest you go grab a sponsor and do some 12 steps, you know, cause it helps you to look at yourself. It's like any therapy, you know, four step, you go through all your past stuff, sex stuff, fears, all that stuff. So it's just a good way to go through. And then you're also not, uh, sitting down with somebody who just has book smarts. You've got somebody who's been there, who's going to relate with you saying, you think that's bad. Look what I did, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's the life lessons. Yeah. It's more, it's more simple that way. Uh, or more relatable, you know, when, for me, when I had that old timer and I told him all the stuff I did and I had stuff that, uh, statute of limitations, right? Like I said, I'm going to tell you this, uh, but we can't tell anybody, you know, um, it's sacred. Like I broke the law and he's an attorney. And so he's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And so I told him all this stuff, but you know, it didn't phase him. You know, he had done things way worse than that and told me all about him. So I was just like, dang, you know, um, it made it a lot better. It's uh, This is crazy, and I know you're going to agree with me, but every person we've had on here that's <clears throat> gone through any sort of trauma, addiction, anything we've talked about, says the same thing. And especially with addiction, I would say, it's the connection. Mm-hmm. It's that vulnerable connection. And that's what you have with these old-timers, you call mm-hmm. them. Yep. It's you can be you. You can be real. You can tell them things that, yeah, You've done that are illegal, that you're like, I'd be in a lot of trouble if mm-hmm. someone knew this. And you trust them and you're connected and they say, yeah, want to know what I've done? Mm-hmm. And suddenly you have this friend, this 
I mean, that's to me, that's probably the biggest thing with anybody getting through any sort of trauma mm-hmm. is connecting with someone that understands you, that you feel like you belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I don't know if you've read Chasing the Scream. Have you heard that book? No, no. It's a really super cool book by a guy named Johan Hari. He talks about basically how the war on drugs started, where it's going. It's very different perspective. Mm-hmm. It is not 12-step friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's But it's really interesting. He like talks about Portugal and decriminalization and all this stuff. But the main thing that comes out of the book that's really cool that is definitely like this ubiquitous kind of life lesson thing that I use all the time is... The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection, which I like freaking blew. I've heard that the first time I was like, right? Like my mind blew up. And and every episode, she's right, we've done this. And every time I meet with somebody new, like, if we as human beings can open our hearts to one another Mm -hmm. and be, we connect. That's all we need to do. And the 12 steps are a beautiful recipe for creating that. And it, Time and time again, people who do the 12 steps, and like you said, I love when you said the head to the heart thing, mm-hmm. like you can do the 12 steps in your mind, you can say them, you can write them, you can do whatever, you can do a fist up with somebody and be fine, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it clicks and you feel it like in your heart and you know it and you believe it and yeah. you make it your story and you begin to write your story instead of letting your story happen to you. Yeah. Changes everything. And that's what you're talking about, man. I, I freaking yeah. love that. So, so now you carry this message to the world, right? You've mm-hmm. you've done something to take your epiphany, your moment of head to heart, and then now you take that to the world. What's that? What's that been like? Taking your message away from just hey, I you're twelve, you're on your twelfth step to the infinity, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're doing it big. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It's fun because. I get to be more aware of other other people's views, opinions, stuff. So, like, there's 8 billion people in the world. We're all connected now because of a smartphone. Um, so let's utilize that with the right intent to, to help spread awareness. Um, it's used for evil as well. It's that, that paradox, the yin, the yang, the light, the dark, the male, the female. Um, the, it's all used from intent. So for me, it's just been a place of, I'm going to use this to help people. Um, and then at the same time, I'm aware too that we're so connected that we're unconnected. You know, um, I can be connected with eight billion people in the world with my phone, and then my son's right next to me, and I'm not connected at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's it's another paradox that that I can be connected, so connected, massively connected to all the information that's available in the world, and yet not connected to what's right next to me. And so it's just it's I like talking about all of it. You know. Um, the, the good and the bad, the light, the dark, the ugly, you know, like I told you before, before this, like, uh, I don't care. Uh, I don't have a preference of who I have on a podcast, right? Like I'll, I'll get people on and interview people and talk with people that, that nobody really, I guess, maybe might think to have on, you know, or, or dare to ask those types of questions, you know, but sometimes it's fun to just ask those types of questions to people and get different types of personalities, you know? That's yeah. right. And you have how many followers now? There's over 12,000 now Dang, in, in the Addicted We Stand group, yeah. Um, uh, there's some. So we started getting some across the nation. You know, this was started like 10 months ago. And then, so on the East Coast, they were asking questions. Um, but now we've got them in uh, New Brunswick, in South Africa, um, in, um, uh, not Poland, maybe Poland, 
Um, I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking of Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Awesome. And so they're all over the world now, people that um, are, deal with addiction or recovery or family members of them. And in that group, it's safe to talk about anything. And also in that group, when someone reaches out for help, it's uh, something like... Uh, 90-something percent get that that feedback, right? Like, I'll see somebody saying, hey, I want to use, or hey, I need help, or hey, I'm ready to detox, get me help. There's like 60 comments on there of like, call this person, go to this place, reach out, message me. You know, everybody gets a lot of support in that group, which is, uh, compared to other groups, I'll see somebody post something, and it gets like a few likes or a comment or something. In this group, it's just insane, the amount of people that just jump on stuff to help people. So it's really cool to watch it grow. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you're out there listening and you and you are not a member of Addicted We Stand, uh, how can they get connected to you? Excuse me. Uh, yeah. So it's on Facebook. Pardon me. It's this drink. Um, on Facebook, go just type in Addicted We Stand, and it's a it's a public group. We made it public instead of private. A lot of recovery groups are private, and so posts have to get um, okayed by the admins, things like that. But this one's public. Um, because so family members are welcome, people who aren't in recovery are in there, and it's an open forum, and we let everybody know that so that they don't share like personal stuff. But if you go on uh, and then you want something to be private, you can also, the admins are there at the top, and you can message at any time and get a hold of somebody. So Addicted We Stand on Facebook, yeah. Or you can look me up, Rip Chadwick. Um, there's uh, uh, President Bo Carter. He's the guy who started that. Yeah, Bo and Brandon. And those guys have really just been going out, just sweating, you know, doing this. So um, they've been getting sponsors um, to help fund people into detox and and uh, get people from out of state bus pass to get here to get into treatment, cool. you know. So it's just been it's been really cool, yeah, to to watch it grow. Um, been on the news a couple times. The opiate awareness one was on a couple. So like we're just the purpose of the group though is really just to um, be there for anybody who's in recovery or struggling period. You know, if they reach out then they want to be able to help. So right now it's about um for me like I say starting getting into treatment stuff helping people. They're working on getting uh, an exact phone really set up just to help people get into treatment. You know, they'll qualify them and say, "Look, if you're really serious and you want to do this, then we have funds set up. We're going to help you get into detox." That's so, cool. Yeah. So I'm I'm a board member on the Sobriety Foundation. I don't know if you've heard of Sobriety mm-hmm. Foundation. So yeah, what what Sobriety Foundation does is we help people get into uh, sober living. And if you're out there listening right now and you're interested in coming to the Sobriety Foundation event, it is October 26th here in Salt Lake. All of the proceeds, all the funds from that, go directly to people. To get and I, I know every dime that's spent in that whole thing and all of that all of the stuff goes directly to people who need sober living. We sponsor you know thousands and thousands of dollars a month for different people to stay in the sober living, which is a huge part of the recovery process. We're constantly looking for more donations, looking for more people who want to be involved. Be kind of, it might be kind of cool to like do like a joint event with you guys. And like be able to partner on some stuff to really kind of, because in in the addiction community, I don't know if you feel this way, but it's kind of competitive amongst treatment centers, especially where there's not a whole lot of like, hey, let's hold hands and do this thing together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I feel like among nonprofits, like we could create something that is a lot more, you know, cohesive. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that'd be a good start to it, man. That'd be yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, and. And I see it. I see the the paradox in that as well. There is competition between treatment centers, but also, like you say, the overdose rate has gone down in Utah, Utah. over the last mm-hmm. year. 
And um, so Addicted We Stand got with the the Lady Amber who was running the opiate uh, overdose awareness opiate event, awareness, yeah. like connected with them, connected with uh, the Recovery One, connected with Addict to Athlete. So among these recovery groups, I see a closeness coming together. That's awesome. And I'm sure we, that we talked to Bo and Brandon, I'm sure we love to be there. Yeah. So like we all come together that way. There's competition, you know, but there's also, I see closeness coming. Beautiful. This world is becoming, it's... It's more easy to see the, the the paradox, the light and the dark these days, yeah, you know? It's so true, right? Like, it's polarizing on one end, mm-hmm. and then it pulls pe- people together on the other. Yeah, I love yeah, that. I yeah. love that. That's awesome. That's and I, I commend you for taking your, you know, your struggles, the things you've gone through, and going to helping other people. I think that's what makes great pe- people great, great people, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome, so... That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And just so anyone listening, I don't know really anything. So this is all just kind of, you know, we're all learning as we go. You know, um, well, I do know one thing for sure is that I'm I'm much happier today and uh, much more at peace. If you're struggling, reach out. Um, The way we do it in the group is women reach out out to women, uh, men reach out to men. And, um, you know, and, and we help each other that way. So if you're struggling tonight, um, reach out and get some help and, and we'll be here for you. Beautiful, yeah. And if you want to hook up with Bethany or I, we're mm-hmm. both on Facebook. Um, I'm Matt Quackenbush, comma, MSW on Facebook. That's my business page. I run a therapy practice out of this room that we're in right now. And then I also am a therapist at Deer Hollow in Draper, Utah. I've been working there for quite some time now. I'm a trauma therapist, PTSD. I do a lot of EMDR been in the recovery community for a good oh, over a decade now so i've been doing this for a long time it's definitely my greatest passion so it's been super awesome to get to hook up with you and those of you out there listening if you guys want to hook up with the finding strength podcast please please do we're in early stages right this is episode eight we're super grateful to have you on mm-hmm. and we're trying to spread this message oh, because so nine. Oh, nine. 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 Oh. nine sorry nine sorry. <laughs> eight yeah. was last time eight went out today but yeah we want we want to spread the message Nine episodes in, almost ten. Next episode, what are we doing? Is it just you and me, I think? It might be about shame. Are we doing that next week? I think we're going to do that next week. Yeah, so tune in next week for sure. And um, well, we, liked it. we want to talk yeah. about subjects that don't get talked about. We, right. It's like you said, everything when you talk about, it's awareness. Mm-hmm. It's People don't realize that you know the suicide rates, how high they are. People don't realize the opioid, opiate problem and the drugs. Like I said, you're telling me about things tonight. And I'm like, I didn't know this. I had no mm-hmm. idea. It's all about awareness and connecting mm-hmm. so we can help each other. Yeah. And I think we should, too, make a, make a big deal about this. So my anchor just stopped recording, but that's okay But because uh, we've hit an hour. But if you guys are serious about the sweat lodge, what I've been doing over the last year or so is, so that's a hot thing. So Friday, I go and freeze myself in the cryogenic therapy chamber in Provo. Okay. And so... If, uh, if you're down to do that, you can go two ways. You can just do the liquid nitrogen over your body. It, it helps athletes. It helps with tendons, muscle stuff. Uh, or you can do the chamber, which brings it in, and you sit there for about a half an hour. You can, like, I meditate to go within. So I'll do that Friday, sweat lodge Saturday, and then Sunday do. Have you guys done the sensory deprivation tank? Mm-hmm. It's a float tank, anti-gravity, but yeah. you can't see, taste, touch, hear, smell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's intense. That is, it's so much fun. So you do oxygen bar before, they give you a sound bath to 
get all prepared, ready, and then you go for one hour or two hours, whatever you choose, but you can't see, taste, touch, hear, or smell, so you're kind of forced into that spiritual oh <gasps> that realm. That sounds really you know? scary. I'm not no, going to lie. You can always just, if you need to, like they tell you, like you can hit the button. If you need to like get out, just do it, but okay. for me, it's just like there's no gravity, like you're in space. You're connected. It's cool. This, this actually sounds really yeah. cool. This, we've talked a lot about yeah. stuff like this that we would like to mm-hmm. try something. We should just pull things. the trigger and just do it. I know. We should do it. Yeah. Because this, I love this kind of stuff. I love that mind-body connection. And mm-hmm. however you can get that, I think it's amazing. Yeah. yeah that's right there in Provo. Yeah. Okay. And it's, I, I love that one. That one's Dude. super cool. If anyone else wants to join us, let us know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know who would do it? Drew freaking Manning. Oh, that of course he would. <laughs> Yeah, Drew, yeah. if you're listening to this, dude, we're going to pull you into it, man. Yeah. We can even bring this and, like, and film it, you know? <gasps> like the cryotherapy, the, the chamber stuff, and the float tank, all of that. We could, you know, do like a... Like I'm going in a, in a week or so to go do Botox. I'm going to film it and just kind of... Because oh, I'm a guy, I've, I've you know? done that. Right? Give me a well, break. <laughs> I, I, for me, I don't like needles, right? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to go and just do it and film it for fun. But That's I think cool. it'd be cool to kind yeah, of film the experience. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And especially after Lodge to like... Because I look stoned after because I'm really high, you know? But yeah, just to go film the whole experience to let people see what it's like, what it's about, what our thoughts are during. Okay. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to put it on the calendar. We're going to look at it. Cool. Okay. man. Right on. Rip. Thanks, Rip. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for thank joining you us. That was really cool. That was yeah. very enlightening for Freaking me. Freaking stud, so. man. Thank you so much. Yep. Hey, that was an awesome episode. Rip, we appreciate him coming out. And it was different than our normal, I would say. But that yeah. kind of made it fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. it. I learned a lot. Yeah, and it's cool to get people on here who just think a little differently and get us all outside of like what we normally... like. We have these fun little comfortable worlds <laughs> that we live in. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes along and is like, Hey, you know how you think? That's might not be true. You might want to look at it this way. Yeah. Or I, like I don't think that way. Yeah. Really oh, cool. I told him, I think I told him a couple times that my mind was blown. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause you're just like, um, I'm like, I'm not wait, sure wait, what, what to say right now. I know. I'm like, wait, let's go back. We got to go back to that. Cause I'm not sure what you meant. So anyways, but yeah. it was cool. He's a really good guy working hard to help other people with their addiction. Yeah. And I, and I'm think really that's hoping we can get some good stuff going again in the future and yes. be able to work more together and kind of have like-minded stuff happening so i'm really excited about that as far as next week don't forget guys we're gonna do the ama monday 8 30 p.m yep it's gonna be awesome think of some questions we ask others questions yes. ask around and let's get some let's get a good conversation going it'll be really yes. fun thank you to tenny's pizza for being our sponsor again if you guys want to sponsor the podcast we need your help we need to get this message out there please hit us up Contact us through personal Facebook, Instagram. Um, God, I'm about ready to leave my phone number on here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Blog. Blog, email. Yeah. What you t- we, Bethany Tenney, yep. Matt Quackenbush, find us. We are happy to take any help we can get. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to our following. Thank you to uh, Death From Above 1979 for our wonderful theme song music stuff. <laughs> I freaking love that song. If you guys haven't heard of that band, go check them out. They're really good. As well, don't forget that there is so many there are so many good things going on with the Brighten a Day Foundation. Definitely. We are getting closer and closer to Christmas and we will be doing 
brighten a Christmas for hopefully multiple families this year and doing what we can to help some people that have had a rough year and lost children this year. Um, if anyone's hungry, go grab some pizza because I eat gluten-free pizza on a regular and I'm, I don't even have to eat gluten-free and I still it's eat it. so good. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Peace.